Yeah, and I think a lot of uh, a lot of people who see um, products, like a lot of new lash artists who are getting into the industry, they see products and they don't have a whole lot of familiarity with like the how the industry works. Like the majority of the products you see from like smaller brands are gonna be white label products. Mm. Like. <clears throat> <laughs> Do you want to do the intro? Hello, everybody, <laughs> and welcome to My, my Last Two, two brain, brain Cells. I'm your host, Maddie Morris. And I'm Elliot Morris. And we have a juicy one for you. Oh, boy, is it juicy. But I say that at the I say that at the start of every single episode, but, but I mean it. Because they, I, I think so far they have all been juicy. We're not putting out something that isn't juicy. We we got the juice every time. <laughs> um, Elliot's going to be doing most of the chatting this episode because my tummy hurts. And also, today is an episode for the boys. No, I'm kidding. But we are going to talk about, how would you describe what we're going to talk about? I think we're going to break down a lot of misconceptions and we're going to kind of break it down for everyone what a seven-figure or six-figure beauty business owner is. Because a lot, I think, at least I've seen it a lot. Lately, people are throwing the terms around. Is seven-figure beauty business owner the new six-figure beauty business owner? Seems like it. Yeah, the industry's changing. And let me tell you, the people that are killing it are spilling everything now. Like the people that are doing really well are like, they have courses, they have seminars, they're speaking, they're helping, they're teaching. Like they're not gatekeeping that anymore. And they're not just like stuffy salon owners. They're like actually trying to better people is what I've noticed. And so which is great. I think that's, I think that there's always been six and seven figure beauty business owners, obviously. Um, but I think people are being a little more transparent about it now um, yep. because that's kind of just the way the culture is now. It's like that kind of is it's cooler to not gatekeep now. And it's, I think people are just getting a little more comfortable with like financial transparency. Yep. Um, and I think that's great. I think it's great. I think if you're using it for good and not to flex on other people, like that's awesome. True. I think a good number of the people who are like online on Instagram and stuff talking about like their business saying like we own a seven figure business, whatever it is. I think a lot of them are doing it because one, like, I want to believe that a lot of them are doing it to like let people understand that this is something that's possible and to help people know that like that is a thing that they could reasonably hope to achieve. And uh, then a lot of them are trying to help people get there. And then some people are just lying. And then some people are lying. (laughs) But it's easy to spot. Yeah. And some people are just doing it to flex. Um, But one thing that I have noticed is that in a lot of it, People will like throw the word around, but no one really explains what they mean by it. Yeah. And I think it's important just like. Like, I feel like it's important for for you guys to understand, like when you see someone on Instagram saying, oh, I own a seven figure salon or I'm a seven figure beauty business. Like, what are they saying? Like, are they saying that they're just like bringing in? Are they saying they're making a million dollars a year? Probably not. We'll go into that. We'll go into it. And also, I think it's just important to be wary because I think the selling point of a lot of education in the beauty industry is like make six figures be your own boss right and that kind of catchy tagline i think shouldn't just be a catchy tagline because a lot of the people that are like saying that to sell their courses are making nowhere near you know mid six figures also people that brag about making six figures um, generally they're making a hundred thousand dollars and six figures is from a hundred thousand to nine hundred ninety nine thousand yeah and it's like babe you're like gross 
like your gross profit is 100k your yeah your gross receipts is 100k yeah like you're not bringing that home what's that after taxes baby what's that after taxes? you know um and so i think it's just important as like a consumer like not just someone just trying to like elevate their business um i i think it's just important to understand what that means and what you should be striving toward because maybe you are like a six-figure business you don't even know it yeah true. you know because you're expecting to bring home a million dollars you know after everything at the end of every year yeah and that's not necessarily what a six you mean a seven figure yeah 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 and and also i feel like the the terms have become a little bit chuggy Mm -hmm. just because um everyone's throwing them around they're like six figure booty boss because i own a seven figure business it's like okay like i i get it it's like a catchy way to talk about it but like it to me at this point it does feel a little chuggy and like we have been seeing this and we're like okay I wondered. I was interested in doing like a like a little A/B test. See, like, does this affect anything? So we filmed an ad where Madison was saying, "I like own a seven-figure beauty business," and turns out that ad converted really well. So it one of the reasons that people talk about it is because it does work for getting sales. We do own a seven-figure beauty business. <laughs> well, that is well, that is true, and we're going to talk about exactly what that means. Yeah. So there, when someone says, and also I think it. it I think it is not necessarily like a bad thing, but I think it is it can be a good thing when like people I think people should be getting financial advice from people that like know what they're talking about. Absolutely. And I'm I'm not saying we know what we're talking about. Yeah. But we But we're but we're transparent. We're doing all right. But we're transparent with people. Yeah, we, I, honestly that's that's what I figure is like I can tell you what worked for us. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to work for you, but I'll tell you like what we did yeah. and what worked for us Absolutely. and like that's all I can do. Yeah. I don't know what'll work for everyone else. I just we tried a bunch of stuff and some of it worked and <laughs> yeah. this is the stuff that worked. But um I think like as a consumer, if you understand like what people mean when they're saying like I'm a seven figure beauty business owner, like it'll make you a much more uh like knowledgeable consumer and it'll help you make better decisions of who to listen to, where to put your money. Like if you understand actually like what they're saying mm-hmm. and um, if you understand like what the meanings behind it could be, you, you'll be able to understand like when things are adding up, when things aren't like you can, you can kind of figure out who the, the real people and who the fakes are. Mm-hmm. So number one thing that it could mean if someone is saying that they are a seven figure beauty business owner, um, it's a very vague term. So there's like a bunch of different possible meanings. Um, it could mean that they're doing over a million dollars in profit per year but probably not. So generally, if someone is profiting, which a lot of times when people say that, they're hoping that you think that they're making a million dollars a year profit, yeah. which nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, they're not. And the reason is because if someone was making a million dollars profit from their business, like a million dollars per year was going into their bank account for them to keep, they would be calling themselves like an eight-figure beauty business Absolutely. because their business would be worth far over a million dollars because yeah. businesses are valued at a multiple of what they earn. So it's probably not that. Um, and and they, if someone was making over a million dollars, they did at the very least be calling themselves like a multi-seven-figure beauty business mm-hmm. owner or something like that. So gen- it, it just doesn't mean that. So just know that off the bat. Uh, the second thing it could mean is over a million dollars gross revenue. Now, this is going to be a lot of people who say, like, we own a seven-figure beauty business. Um, this is where we're at right now. So we are, like, in this chunk. I would say this is probably the majority of people who are, like, talking about these terms. Where um, So that basically means every year you are collecting from people. People are giving you over a million dollars 
total, um, which would be break down to like over $87,000 a month. Um, and so if you're getting over $87,000 gross receipts, so um, gross receipts is, is just the money you're taking in, then you would have a gross revenue of over a million dollars a year. Now, gross is going to be very different from what you keep at the end. I remember gross because it's gross because you can't take it home. So I'm like, ew. Ew, I wish I could take this home. Why That's can't I take it I home? That's how I remember That's how I remember it. When, so, I was, when I, it was being explained to me in like high school or something. Yeah, you're like, gross, why can't I bring this home? Um, and the um, so then that's gross. Then you have net profit off of that. And if you're – and so net profit off of that is going to be like the actual profit of the business. And so that's generally for the majority of businesses going to be far less than – a million dollars. Mm -hmm. So say you are, and it, it really depends, the way it breaks down really depends on the type of business that you're running. And I'm going to, we're going to go into that a little later in the podcast, like how that kind of breaks down. But, but gross revenue, a lot of people will talk about that. Like my business is bringing in over a million dollars a year. That's great. That means not all that money is ending up in your pocket, but um, I, I would consider that like a reasonable business it'd be reasonable to call yourself like a seven-figure beauty business owner if that was the case um then the third bucket which i think it's a little squirrely is the people who say they have like a seven-figure business and they mean that they have a business where the business is valued over a million dollars which businesses like i said earlier are valued as a multiple of their earnings and um, generally, it'll be valued at a multiple of the EBITDA, which EBITDA stands for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So <coughs> your um, business, say you have a business, you're making um, $200,000 a year in profit um, from your business. Say you're bringing in $500,000 a year, $200,000 of it is profit. And you are like, okay, I have this $200,000 profit. Maybe it's $200,000 EBITDA, um, which if it's EBITDA, it still wouldn't all be ending up in your pocket because that's earnings before your interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Amortization is like any loans that you're paying off. Um, and interest and taxes, like those are all pretty straightforward. Um, and if you were in that uh, camp, and you're bringing home like $200,000 a year EBITDA, then you're like, okay, well, I have a business. Let's say I think my business is valued at a 5X multiple, and I, I'm making $200,000 a year, so that means my business must be worth over a million dollars. That's, eh, I don't know about that, because it is a valid way to talk about business, but it's generally more applicable to larger businesses, because like, a public business that's like listed on the S&P 500 or listed on the New York Stock Exchange or something. Those businesses, those big corporations are valued as a multiple of their earnings because it's a basically an entity. Like you can buy stock in it. It's its own thing. But a lot of these businesses where they are, maybe it's a, uh, a like guru. They're, they're doing like education. They're doing beauty services and beauty education. And they're like, oh, I'm making $200,000 a year. Like my business must be valued at a million dollars. But the thing is with that, if that person went and tried to sell their business, 
they wouldn't be able to get any money for it because the business is all built around them. So is their business really worth a million dollars? Not really, because the business has zero value aside from the like work that they're putting into it. So that's definitely some people who talk about that, uh, talk about having like a, a seven figure business. And that's, uh, we're, we're not even considering the people who are just lying about it. But if, if someone's telling the truth, those are the three things that they probably mean. Um, and I think it's it's reasonable to assume that if someone seems legit, they seem like they know what they're talking about and they say, oh, I own a seven-figure business, probably what they mean is that they're bringing in over a million dollars of revenue a year and they're keeping some percentage of that. Now, the percentage of that is going to differ based on what business it is. And I have these listed out from my from our least favorite to our favorite. I think our favorite is probably pretty obvious. Uh, well, it might not be. It might not be. It could be two things. Um, but our least favorite, like least likely that we would get into in in like the beauty space, like businesses that we've considered, that we've looked at, that you've probably seen and, and heard people who are in these businesses are talking about like how much their business is worth. The first one is um, spas, like day spas, uh, salons, that sort of thing, where someone has a space, they have employees, they the employees are doing services. Also, I don't think the sound's off on your phone because I keep hearing. No, I had to. I'm filming a reel right now. Oh, you're doing a reel? Nice. Cute. <laughs> I'm, I'm girl bossing right you're, now. Sorry, I'm girl bossing. <laughs> you're like, you're multitasking while we do the podcast. I you're to, like, sorry. I'm I, supposed to reel right now. I, well, <laughs> Guys, I do all my own stunts. You, you think do. You think that you I do. just wake up in the morning and stuff gets posted for me and someone else and I have employees taking clients and all this stuff. I don't think stuff. anyone thinks that. <laughs> <laughs> well i'm a one woman well, show baby i don't um so if someone owns a spa <laughs> you're doing great elliot oh that you think this is this makes sense this Do you makes think a lot of people sense. Are, are entertained okay i'll ask I, him the thing is i think this stuff is very fascinating i think this stuff is so interesting and i think it's really useful it's very interesting to like to talk about it because it's like i wish I, I wish i listened to this podcast when i was starting out it's just because i think it's because when last artists were talking about hitting six figures i was like I don't even know what that means. Like, is that what they're taking home? Is that what they're making? Is yeah. that like, yeah, it's that... a lot more achievable when you know exactly what it Exa is. Exactly. That's the thing. If you can define the term, it is easier to achieve. Absolutely. So true. So back to what I was saying, spas. Um, if someone's a spa owner, they're saying, oh, I'm a seven figure spa or salon owner. Like I've seen a lot of those on Instagram. Um, that means they have employees, they have a space, they have a lease, they have, um, they're buying the products, they're, they have probably a receptionist, and then they are taking, their employees are taking uh, clients every day. Generally, if someone is like, oh, I'm a seven-figure spa owner, they're saying that they're bringing in over a million dollars in gross revenue, gross receipts per year. And generally, with spas, the profit margin on spas from what I've seen is going to hover around 10 to 20% depending on a ton of factors. Like there, there are definitely spas out there that are doing over 20% profit. There's definitely spas out there that are not even break even. Like I would say generally on average, like you walk down the street, you see a spa that seems to be doing pretty well. They're going to be hovering between 10 and 20% margins, which means that if the owner of that spa owns a seven-figure spa, they're bringing in a million dollars a year in revenue, they're bringing home somewhere between $100,000 and $200,000 a year, which is 
good. Like that's not shabby at all. But if they're at that 10% margin, then they're really not doing like, they're not doing as crazy insane as a lot of people would think hearing that they own a million dollar spa or their spa is making a million dollars a year. Because if you're only doing 10% on that, that's a hundred thousand dollars. It's a good living, but it's like off of a million dollars. Like that's, it seems a little small and it's, it's one of the reasons that we never considered getting into a spa is because I am very scared of running businesses with that small of profit margins because the margin for error is so small. Like if your costs rise like if covid happens if covid happens if your shoot, employees exactly leave you. if yeah. there's yeah there are so many things that could impact your bottom line and bring that profit margin from 10 percent down to zero so easily like your costs go up by 10 percent, your profit goes down by 10 percent, and then your entire profit's gone yeah. like there's there's so many things that could happen spas kind of scary if someone's in a spa and they're like uh a absolute like monster at it and they're just killing it and they're doing like 30 25 30 percent margins like that's a whole nother story like they're doing a great job but um a lot of spas that i've seen hover around like 10 to 20 percent which is a little scary a little scary it's 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 a good business and but it's something that you have to like you have to keep a really close eye on it to make sure that those like your costs don't get out of hand to make sure you're managing everything well and that's why a lot of spa owners were talk will talk about how oh i was making more money as an independent artist because a lot of times it's true like a lot of times if you are an independent artist your overhead is really low you're just renting a space you're taking clients independent artists can absolutely make over 100 grand but then as soon as you start hiring people you expand your space the overhead goes up so fast if you're not really careful about it your take home profit at the end of the day is going to be even less and if it's even less like in my opinion why even do it you know so that's possible Next, we have businesses with products. So we're obviously most familiar with the lash industry. So I'm going to talk about like lash product brands generally. So there's kind of going to be two buckets that I would put lash product brands in. One is brands that just white label. So they buy products from a manufacturer. This is so important that we're breaking it down for everyone that's like new to the industry because I think like that is true. That is true. This kind of terminology is so foreign to people that are just getting into that the is industry. True. Yeah, and I think a lot of uh, a lot of people who see um, products, like a lot of new lash artists who are getting into the industry, they see products and they don't have a whole lot of familiarity with like the how the industry works. Like the majority of the products you see from like smaller brands are going to be white labeled products, like across the board, um, which means that which isn't a bad thing because no. it's like. I'm sure that they've done their research and everything on like what. Yeah, they've found the manufacturers just, that make products they yeah, like. Yeah, it's just very hard for an indie brand to like have its own like manufacturing. Oh, it's yeah. near impossible. Pretty much all lash products are made overseas. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, almost all of them. I think I think Live Bay does some in the United States. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, but I think they're one of the only ones that do them in the U.S. Yeah. So, um, but but that segues me to the the other types of product brands are the ones that are manufacturing their own products and that could be either they have a um a very close tie with a manufacturer where they are able to like deeply customize products which i would consider still kind of manufacturing your own products because you're not just white labeling anymore you're actually like influencing the way the products are produced you're you have 
say over the manufacturing methods and what materials they're using and how they're actually creating the products as opposed to like a smaller indie brand that would generally just be picking um, and doing some slight customization and doing like their own boxes. So like white labeling would mean you get something with like a white label and then you put your own branding over it. That's kind of where the term comes from. And um, so like white labeled uh, lash brands, it can range because it, it, it depends on what quality of products they're getting for their um, from their like wholesaler and then what they're trying to sell them for. But generally the margins will hover around 50% uh, plus or minus like it could be plus or minus 20, honestly, like it's. I mean, I wouldn't say plus 20, but it could be down to like 30% of, of their cost. Um, and, and that's just kind of based on, you know, what kind of manufacturers they're able to find, like how much they're uh, selling the products for. So so generally, if they're running a 50% margin on it, that would mean like you're buying a tray for $10, you're reselling it for $20, something like that. And, um, your, and Lash brands are able to do that because they're putting in the work to do the branding and they're also picking stuff that they like that they think their customers will like and then they're also um, providing the value to like you as the consumer you as the lash artist of uh, purchasing the minimum order quantities like if a independent lash artist was like hearing this and they're saying oh why don't I just like white label my own stuff generally uh, manufacturers will require you to purchase a minimum order quantity of products which is generally in the thousands of dollars. So like if you're not in a position where you're um, prepared to spend, you know, thousands of dollars on like just trays of lashes, not even including like all the other products you would need, then it it would be impossible for you to uh, white label something. And then it's also, it takes a lot of time. There's a lot of back and forth. The shipping times are really long. Um, a, a generally, if you're buying stuff from overseas, they're gonna ship it via freight ships because the shipping is far cheaper shipping it over actual ships than um, shipping through the air. Um, and so it'll take like weeks or months to get to you from the time you place the order. So so all this is stuff that I, I don't think brands that white label their products is bad at all because they are actually providing like this service of dealing with all the, the annoying stuff that like the end consumer wouldn't want to deal with. But um, it is easier to get into. There's like a lower barrier of entry and um generally they're not going to have as much influence over the products themselves now the second box is companies that manufacture their own stuff this is going to be like generally the bigger companies and they're going to have um either like really close ties with their manufacturers or they're going to be doing their own manufacturing and um I don't think a whole there's not a ton that do their own manufacturing. Generally, it's going to be just people who have really um, they have really developed relationships with manufacturers and they have like their secret manufacturers that like they will never tell anyone about because it's like this is my factory. Um, and those will generally because they're placing doing so much volume, they have um, they have a, a long history of like placing high volume orders they're doing a lot of stuff they they handle generally um these brands will handle things like doing the um branding and stuff themselves so a lot of times they'll like buy uh buy the raw materials not even packaged like buy the lashes not even packaged they'll have a manufacturer like do the um do the manufacturing and then they'll like handle the brand will handle the packaging themselves and then they're able to save money that way um and those brands will generally be hovering like 20 
maybe under 20 to like 30% for the cost of their goods. Um, so like, say you're buying a, they would be buying a tray of lashes for $5 all in and then selling it for, that would be $15, something like that. So they'd be like 30% margins or it could be like five and $20. Um, but then after that, there's a bunch of other expenses. So all that money, like that 30, the other 70% of that, say they have 30% products costs, that other 70% isn't going in the brand's pocket, like at all, because they have tons of overhead. They'll have employees, they'll have all their warehousing. Like the big brands need huge warehouses to hold all of their stuff because they're placing huge orders and they have to deal with like a lot of demand. And generally these orders, like I said, will take weeks or months to come in. So they have to have like way stocked up. Um, so they'll have to pay for real estate, um, and then marketing is a huge expense for a lot of these brands. And, and that's actually one of the reasons that you'll see a lot of brands do trainings because it is a very effective way to do marketing for their brand while also not being very expensive at all. Generally brands will make a little bit of money on it. But, um, one thing you'll notice generally, if you're looking at trainings is trainings from brands will be cheaper because the training cost is kind of subsidized by the fact that a lot of people who take those trainings will end up purchasing products from that brand, which makes sense because like if you're trained using a certain brand of lashes, then like, why would you change? Like, why would you like, might as well just keep using what what's working, what you learned with. Um, and so brands know this. And so they're like, okay, that's why a lot of brands offer trainings I'm for, back. Hey, welcome back. I posted my reel. Nice. Congratulations. So yeah, so that's it. So generally lash brands will hover around, um, like, 10, 20% margins at the end of the day, like profit margins. Um, so if a lash brand, like this would be like a small medium lash brand is doing over like a million dollars a year in sales, then the owner of that brand could be making hundred, $200,000 a year. It's kind of similar to a spot, but it really depends on it's similar profit margin to a spot. The business is totally different, but it kind of depends on whether or not they're doing a lot of like business investment too, mm -hmm. because a lot of these businesses could be just plowing all the money back into the business, like into expanding, into buying more inventory, into doing new products that aren't gonna show up on the shelves for like months or like a year or more. And um, like famously, Amazon, the biggest company in the world, has like barely ever made an actual profit because I they- was, I was shocked when I found that out. Right? Like Amazon, biggest company in the world, they barely ever make a profit because they reinvest everything back into the business, which is why a bunch of people always like get super angry. They're like, Amazon doesn't pay any taxes. It's like, well, because it doesn't make any profit. Yeah. And then people are like, well, why doesn't it make any profit? It makes so much money. It's like, well, they reinvest it all That's into why it gets getting so bigger. That's why it's the biggest company year. in the world. Like it couldn't become the biggest company in the world without reinvesting but literally everything don't. it made. I mean, people don't know. No, people don't know. But now you do. Now you do. Now know. you do. Now we're getting into the the good juicy stuff. You always stuff. learn something on my last two brains. Always learn something. People are thrown off because they're like, "Ooh, funny name must be a funny podcast." Ha, ha, ha. No, no, we tricked you. You had to sit down <laughs> through an economics lecture. We for put an the hour business and funny business. That's good. That's pretty funny. Um, okay, now moving on to the businesses that I particular, I in particular are am a big pretty big fan of mm -hmm. um and number one is going to be salon suites yeah mm, interesting concept yeah do you like salon suites i love them I, I love 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 them but i don't like other salon suites oh <laughs> calling out who who call tell no, them I'm call kidding. them by name no i'm kidding no just side <laughs> note i think salon suites run by people that don't understand 
like the aesthetics or beauty industry. Salon are, suites run by hedge funds are bad. They literally are the most haunted and there are places some ever. There are some, and you probably know them. Yeah. Um, but no, honestly, salon suites like small independent salon suites owned by like estheticians or people in yeah, beauty owned by people in the industry. Amazing. In the last like wonderful decade that aren't absolutely archaic. I think are awesome. I think it's the way the industry's going. I think there's a lot of amazing and literally there are so many amazing salons and salon owners. Sure. Um, but just like salons, there's also a lot of salon suites that are, are run by people that just don't care or they're just True. investors or it's just a piece of real estate to them. Yep. But I love business wise, business, business wise, wise, great business, business wise. I mean, it's, it's what I've invested my entire life into, but I, True. I love the concept of salon suites. It's great. And one interesting thing about salon suites is like we were throwing out like probable general profit margins for um, like other types of businesses. But like salon suites, it can vary so much. Yeah. Like, like people are always like, should I open a salon suite? And I'm like, you can't ask me that without like, telling me it depends every on so much. single numeric like every <laughs> detail about what you're doing. I need to know every detail of your entire life and all your finances. And we need like a five hour sit down meeting. Yeah. Like I can't even do it in a mentoring call. Yeah. You know, because it's like there's just no cookie cutter advice. I, and like someone messaged me today and they were like, hey, could you um, make like an ebook on how to open salon suites? And I was like, no, because it is so. It's so complicated. It's so complicated. And like I cannot sell something that I cannot guarantee you results on because it depends on your area, your expertise, your finances, your capital, yep. your investors, your renters, your reputation. True. It It's so much. I think it's – it. I mean it might honestly be safer to open a salon with employees than a salon suite. It might. I mean honestly – I. I don't know. I mean, we just did what worked for us. We just did what worked for us. Yeah. We just did what worked for us. I don't honestly have enough. Ex like, I haven't. It's honestly just different strokes for different folks. I mean, honestly, it, I would love. Like, we generally don't have. Is that naughty? Is that a naughty saying? No. I don't. Do people say that? No, I think that's like a normal saying. Why would it be naughty? I heard that once. I, I think that's like just means different like... strokes for different folks. It's like different <gasps> people do different stuff. That's what I thought it meant. But I it don't. It does. There's no way that that's bad. Well, I need to look it up. And I've heard grandparents say that. <laughs> like, no way that's bad. Okay, I'm Googling it. Hold on. Different things appeal to different people. Yeah, it there you go. Whew, thank goodness. Almost got canceled. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Could you imagine? Almost turned into Call Her Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> but Hi, Maddie gang. <laughs> Hi, Maddie gang. Um, so, uh, where was I? We were talking about uh, salon suites. Oh, Yes. So one really interesting thing to me about salon suite. Oh, no. What I was saying is I, I would be really interested. We don't generally have like guests on the pod, but I would be really interested to talk to like someone who owns like a spa and yeah. like compare the numbers, like yeah. see like, OK, what is the actual comparison between like a spa that's doing well and like salon suites that are doing well? Because like I don't want to toot our own horn or anything, but I think our salon suites are doing pretty well. They're doing well. Um, And they 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 couldn't be doing better. That, that is true. That is definitely they, true. They are fully rented. They are fully with rented. a very long wait list. And yeah, that's that's the crazy thing is from here on out, like, I don't like think... The, oh, sorry to interrupt you. From here on out, I don't think we're going to have any vacancy no. in any of the rooms. Like honestly, the only... I can't even... Like actually physically, they can't be doing better because if you think about like the metric of success for Salon Suite is, is how full they are. Yeah, being full. And like the rates of our rooms are like, they're not even competitive. They're the highest in the area. They are very And high. the wait list is a mile long. 
And we just had a room come open in March and we already have it. Yeah, we filled it like six months early. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, no, it's honestly, they're doing it fantastic. Not not um, to flex, it's just the people listening are like my friends, and I just want to like let them that know that true. we're doing. We're, that it's is fine. true. Well, yeah. So I think what's really interesting is I I've heard like on other podcasts and stuff from like other people doing salon suites that some of them are not like super profitable, and then I like have seen from what we're doing is like ours are pretty profitable. So I think it really depends on like just the details of it it. is the details like it really is because because really the big thing the the really important thing with it is like the numbers you're working with Mm -hmm. are big enough to the point that like if you do salon suites 10 percent better than someone else your profit is going to be like 10 times more yeah like the difference in that like in in the end of like what you're able to charge because the thing is like with something like salon suites you have fixed overhead like mm-hmm. we have rent we have electric we have our utility bills and we have like maintenance and that's like basically fixed like you can kind of average out what maintenance is going to be over yeah, yeah, yeah. over the course of a year um or over the course of five ten or years. if you're us you just do it all yourself <laughs> or if you're us you just do it all yourself <laughs> you just um, hire your friends <laughs> yeah you just hire your friends anytime and then something breaks or we want to like cheaper. do some cosmetic upgrade we're like hey who wants to build hey this? who wants who wants we just have elijah come and he just like yeah. builds us the sickest I mean, yeah he <laughs> does a great job just get good friends that um know what they're doing and after you have like covered those base fixed expenses everything on top of that is profit yeah but the thing is it is a fairly optimized industry because it's based on like what the real estate goes for in your area so like if you are able to charge 10 percent more than the person across the street because like your place is nicer like you have some you have some edge over them you're able to charge a little more people want to rent from you more you're not making 10 percent more money oftentimes you're making like 30 percent more money yeah and so like with ours I can. And then if I, you have amenities like a training room to rent out, exactly, or a photo studio. Well, and to rent these are out. all the things that allow you to to rent it for hire. And like yeah. our like kind of edge that we have, one is like the interior design of the space. Like it's a very pretty, bright, nice space. We have a lot of uh, exterior rooms, which a lot of places don't have, which is definitely a benefit of us over a lot of other salons. Exterior suites. meaning windows. With yeah, like light, yeah. rooms with windows. Like they, those are able to rent out for a lot more. And like the culture. like I think And the, the culture and the coffee shop. Yeah. The coffee shop is absolutely an amenity that like most salon suites aren't going to have. Um, and so like our uh, studios that we've done going off of, this is going off of last year's revenue because like we have a, um, we're going to be doing a uh, like one year anniversary special. And the, the one year anniversary special, we're going to, because we don't want to We'll like, go in the numbers for it then. And we want to like talk about what we learned and mistakes we made oh, on our one year anniversary of opening because it's like we still have three more months of learning. To we do. still have three more months of learning. Yeah. You don't want to miss out on Who that. Who knows what could happen in the next? Three Anything months. could happen. But uh, like mistakes based, could be made based on our first year, which is the worst year. It's going to be the worst year because yeah. from now on, fingers crossed, knock on wood. Hopefully, we're gonna stay one hundred percent capacity for the next ten years, which. Yeah. I think I think it it is likely to assume we're going to be pretty close to that. We'll probably have some like little areas of of vacancy, but it's it's not going to be like we're not going to be hovering around eighty percent capacity or anything like that. We're going to be hovering around like ninety five to one hundred percent capacity. Also, just a side note before we jump into the next point, I think it's just important for anyone wanting to open a salon suite because a lot of people that listen to my last two brain cells they want to open salon suites. Yeah, and I think it's important. Yeah. It is so important to know 
what capacity you need to be rented at for your business to be pro- profitable. Yes, like, that's the number you need. And that is true. That is for true. us. I remember when we were uh, when we owed the contractor like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I remember I asked Elliot one night. I go, "What do we need for this business to be successful?" And Elliot goes to his computer. It's like three a.m. I'm crying, you know. And Elliot. You know how he is. He crunches in all the numbers and Elliot goes, we need to have eight of the rooms rented immediately for one year to be profitable. Yep. And he was like, and I was like, oh my gosh. So that became my job Yeah. to have eight of those rooms, eight out of 14 at the time, mm-hmm. eight out of 14 fully rented by the time we even opened. Yep. And that was my goal. And, and so that know, was, know your. Uh, yeah. Know your numbers like yeah. that. And that eight of the rooms rented. So we needed five of the rooms rented in order to cover the costs of the space and And eight to be profitable and then eight for us to be able to pay back the loans we took out for the build out yeah um and so then once we had five we're like okay at least we're not losing money on rent every month like we could if worst case scenario we could fund the we could pay back the loans from like madison taking clients um but then once we got eight we're like okay the business is like stable on its own and then once we got um once we got like 12 then we're like okay like we're, we're doing cruising. great we're we're cruising yeah. we're, we're and now we're at capacity and we've actually decreased the capacity of the space because like we're using one of the rooms now as this studio yeah, this is one of the salon suites and so like guys. yeah this this was one of the salon suites and and we realized that we but it mattered more to us well no it <laughs> honestly for the business is more valuable for us to use this to do the podcast I think than yeah. the cash we could be getting from renting this out. Absolutely. So we basically Lightheart LLC, like the education side of the business, is renting space from the studio side of the business. So like if we're including, um, this is actually not even including us paying ourselves rent for it, but we're hovering around like fifty to sixty percent uh, gross revenue. So that's like, uh, or actually, sorry, net revenue. We're hovering around fifty to sixty percent. So that would be. Uh, revenue after um, we pay our uh, like rent and uh, utilities on it and then say if we were going to I was like calculating this out if we were going to based on last year's numbers or the numbers up to like this point which are going to be worse than like all the numbers going forward but just for like a, a conservative estimate if we were going to amortize the build out over the 10 year lease that we have here so basically if we took 10 years to pay off our build out that we did, like the investment we did right at the beginning, then our profit on the space based on last year's numbers would be 30% um, of our gross revenue, which is honestly pretty good. That means if we were bringing in $15,000 a month, we'd be making $5,000 a month. And that would be assuming we got loans for the entire thing and did not pay them off on any sort of uh, sped up timeline. We just paid them off over 10 years, which is, I think, honestly, very good for real estate like this real estate is higher touch than like residential or commercial real estate which is why it justifies a higher return like a 30 percent return because like 30 percent return um is like unheard of for uh like regular real estate but because like we're renting out by the room like we do more to it it's just like if you were renting out like student housing you would be getting a higher return than if you were renting like a single family home um I just wanted to touch on that before we move But on. yeah, I think it's really interesting that like if we were amortizing it, I think um based on like this year's numbers, we're probably hovering more we're going like over the course of the space, we're probably going to ho- hover around closer to like 40 to 50% uh margins after everything, which is I think pretty great. Like insane for real estate. And yeah. um I 
I, I think it's about as much as we could hope for from the studios, which is crazy good. I'm super happy with that. Um, and then now we have the last business that could be a seven-figure beauty business is going to be an education business, which is my personal favorite. Um, and this is where I think we're going to be focusing our efforts going forward because the beautiful thing about a digital education business is that you got 100% gross margins. Per. <laughs> I think that's crazy. Like you're if you sell digital products, you have zero cost of fulfillment. Like you sell a, a, a digital product, you are selling education, you have a one-time like capital investment, you invest in it one time, and then once you've made it, and you spent the time to make it, you you put in the money to make it, then you can sell as many of them as you want forever, and each new customer doesn't cost you anything for digital products. It's insane. It's like this is something that has never existed in the world until like 20 years ago. Absolutely. Like it it really it's really insane. Like digital products are so such an amazing business. It's like if you can if you can figure out how to get knowledge and and create educational products that are valuable to people that you can sell in a digital form, like that is absolutely I think personally the best business that you can get into and mm -hmm. obviously that is why we are um spending so much time on it that's why we focus so hard on selling digital products because they're just you do have costs you have um like your costs. website you have your website and then for digital products also I, you still have to pay taxes on them you do yeah you still have to pay taxes don't obviously. be a silly goofball yeah, don't don't do get not, it twisted girl yeah pay your taxes i know they suck um but one um you do have some like overhead expenses with it. You have your website, but then I also consider uh, ad spend to be kind of an integral expense. You have to, yeah. In digital products, because um, you can exhaust your organic audience really easily. You exactly. You can because uh, you can only the thing about like digital education products. The one downside of them is that generally you can only sell them once. Um, with like education products because it's like once people get someone, the information. Yeah, once someone learns the thing, they're not gonna keep buying the thing. It's not like gasoline where you need it every every week and it's kind of like i mean one of our strategies is like it has to be valuable enough that they just continually buy more digital products exactly us. so we just keep putting new things out yep. that the same audience will find value from exactly and and our strategy is that we try to make each of those products so valuable that when people buy them then they say wow this is really good what else have they made and so that the products let me sell. get on the email list. Exactly. Let me tell my friends. So that the, the products themselves are the advertising and they help sell the other products. Yeah. So like that's one of the reasons that like we did that huge sale for going independent is because we wanted to get as many people seeing the stuff we made mm -hmm. as we could so that then they see it and they're like, wow, this is like super helpful. And then hopefully that helps them get to the point where they can get a lot of value out of our other stuff. Because one of the things in like the digital space with digital education in particular is there are a lot of people who sell crap, who mm -hmm. sell not good stuff. Boop, boop, boop. And so <laughs> some girl messaged me this morning and yeah. she said, hey, I want to buy your retention ebook that you just launched i just launched an ebook called understanding retention from mystery to mastery it's on sale right now um Period. but this girl reached out to me and she's like hey i really want to buy your understanding retention ebook but i recently bought a retention ebook and i was i spent 80 dollars, and it was one page long one page she said how many no. pages is yours i was like 
What? That's insane. Are you? That's so sad. That is crazy. That is sad. Ours is 60 pages. But what is wrong? But, but it's like, but that see, person, that's thing. but that person that's scamming people and selling them. It makes it harder for everyone else to it, sell stuff that's actually valuable. It makes some of us have to work extra hard. It makes us have to work extra hard. Oh, come on, girl. And then number two, you know, it's like they're cheating themselves because that, that person maybe was trying to make. It's a, a very short term. It's short term mindset. because that person could have been selling them, you yeah. know, product after product after product. But they have one time customers that probably dispute everything. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Our dispute rate is extremely low. In the I'm very proud of that. In the ground. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to note that I, I see every order that comes through and a lot of the names that come up are so familiar to me. They're like, they repeat, they, they, wait, oh, yeah. for, they wait for everything to come out. I, I would say the majority of our sales at this point are repeat sales. Mm -hmm. We get far. Well, I mean, I wouldn't even, that's not even like a question. Like we get far more sales from like repeat customers than we do from like new customers coming in, which, um, gives us a very big advantage compared to um like other people who may be selling digital products because it means that we can spend more to acquire a customer because those customers are more valued valuable to us on the back end like yeah it's the, like starbucks exactly the ltv of those customers is higher like yeah like starbucks the ltv the lifetime value of a starbucks customer is fourteen thousand dollars yeah like so Starbucks knows if they gain one extra customer, then that customer to them is worth 14 grand. So Starbucks is able to spend ton of money on advertising, even if they're spending $100 to get one new client, even as they're spending $500 to get one new customer, they know that that's worth it because that customer over their lifetime is going to be worth $14,000. Now, there's other stuff you have to take into account, like the the uh, time value of money. You have to do like a discounted rate of return. So it's like the $14,000 is going to be over their whole lifetime. So like a dollar 20 years from now is going to be less valuable to you than a dollar right now. So yeah. they can't spend like $13,000 to get a customer <laughs> that's going to give them $14,000 because then they would like be bankrupt immediately. But um, because our lifetime value of all our customers is so high because we someone will buy something from us and in a lot of times like on average we can see it in the numbers like not everyone will but on average they'll buy like one or two or three more products and then that means that like it's okay for us to spend a hundred dollars on ads to get one sale even though it doesn't really make much money because we're able to monetize so much on the back end yeah and we have faith in the products what is our next uh point i feel like this episode's long oh is it too long i'm sorry guys <laughs> I'm sorry. I just think this stuff is so... No, it's so okay. fascinating. Oh, we're actually uh, we're actually almost done. So the reason... No, I don't want to rush it. I was just saying like... Oh, no. I, I'm out at the end. Cool. I'm, I think. Um, I'm loving it. The reasons I wanted to talk about this is one, because I think it's very interesting, but then also because I think that thinking about these types of businesses and thinking about like what are the pros and cons of each um, can help you make a better, like more informed decision to build your own business. Yeah. And... Um, like I don't I'm the the goal of this isn't to like try and dunk on other types of businesses like obviously we are very into the type of business that we're in but there are definite advantages to like the other types of businesses like one huge advantage of products is that you can keep selling them like we can't people run out of their people, lashes they exactly. need to exactly if you yeah. make a type uh, uh if you make a lash brand that people like using yeah. Like there's a need for everything. There's a need for great product lines. There's a need for salon owners. There's a need for spas. 100%. There's a need for everything. You 100%. know, we're just passionate about what we do because we do it and we do it for a reason. Absolutely. We didn't just throw a pen and a hat. We're like, are we going to open salon suites? Yes. Okay. You know, like it made sense to us. Yep. 
Yep. And uh, we looked at the numbers for it. And we um, one thing that I do notice looking back is when we were looking at the numbers for the this studio, we were more optimistic than we like ended up. The cash flow ended up actually being. But the thing is, our optimistic uh, assumptions were such a good return that we although we missed those like optimistic assumptions we still have a great return yeah like if we had actually hit what we were assuming that we would do we we're like oh well we'll be able to rent these out for this much and the build out will cost this much because this is how much the general contractor quoted us like our rate of return would be like a hundred percent per year which looking back not realistic but we didn't hit that but we're still way above 10 percent. we're still way above zero mm -hmm. so you know it worked out but um yeah that's the whole thing I just wanted to talk about that. I thought it was really interesting. I like yeah. talking about the numbers. So I think people are gonna like have their notepads. Yeah, out this, this is gonna one. be our lowest retention episode. I think people are gonna fall asleep. No, I don't. Through. No, I really don't think so. I think like we should preface this episode in the beginning of like get a pen and paper, because there's so much they can take from this episode. It was very valuable. Yeah, great. Um, oh, yeah, 48 minutes. Not wow. too bad. At least we didn't break an hour. Yeah. Well. Um. Any any notes to add, Madison? Um, and also, I mean. Money aside, finances aside, six, seven, eight trillion, whatever, whatever's aside. Um, I think if you're figuring out where to like scale your beauty business or like figuring out which avenue you should take um, or like which stream of income is right for you, um, I wouldn't try to dip your feet in all of them. Um, pick one. I would pick, Absolutely. I would pick one and spend a long time considering like how that is going to look for you long term. Yeah. Um, and I think it's very important to consider burnout um, because burnout is such a real thing and it's it's a terrible feeling. Um, oh. But like a lot of people just pick a different stream of income just to like give them something to do or like give them a little more street cred or whatever it is. But um, for me, I had to think of like, okay, my longevity in this industry, how can I not burn out? And for me, if I was to take the product route, which a lot of people were pushing me into, um, I think I would have burned out even quicker because it's just like, oh, that's yeah. not something I'm passionate about nope. and putting my face on little tiny boxes, just like, and communicating with suppliers. Like that is somebody's, that's somebody else's ministry. <laughs> it's not mine. It is a great opportunity, great but it's opportunity. not my great opportunity. No, no. Yes. And for me, I was like, okay, how can I not burn out? How can I actually stay in the beauty industry, you know, till the end of my career lifespan and you and were me, like i needed a space that i was in complete control of yep. the environment the design the feel the organization the people like everything and for me that had to be operating and owning the most beautiful friendly salon suite in the entire world for me that that had to happen in order for me to have longevity i could yep. not open a spot i could not have employees i could not i couldn't even do training full-time like i could have yep. just done like a full-time education company um, and just rented like kind of a warehouse office space and, and done that. Mm -hmm. But like that would have burned me out. Like yeah. I think you need to consider what will physically make you want to jump out of bed every morning mm -hmm. and do that with all your heart, even on the hard days, even when it's rainy, even when it's cold, even when the numbers suck, even when people aren't showing up. Like if there's something that you can do to avoid burnout and to to stay in love with what you do, pursue that thing. Period. And so for me, that was Salon Suites. Salon Suites. I love Lightheart. <laughs> no i it's it's great and then the other thing with the studios too is like yeah we did them and we only did them because we could figure out a way to do them and get a good like 
return on the investment that we made. But then also, I think there's a lot of value to the Lightheart brand of us mm -hmm. having the salon suites. Yeah. And it makes the education stuff more valuable. Because Absolutely. one, you have a beautiful place to train out of. Yeah. But then two, like it shows that we're actually doing the stuff that we talk about. Yeah. And so like That's I don't. That's so important because I mean is. like people want to take trainings from people that have done the thing. Absolutely. And like, why would you want to learn how to open salon suites from someone who's never opened salon suites? Whose salon suites are carpeted. <gasps> Get those carpeted If you own carpeted floors. salon suites, Ouch. I know. I Ouch. know it's going to cost like 10 grand. Get I know. It, get it out of here. But but replace the floors. It's 2023. It's 2023. When no one wants I, carpets. When I was looking Come for on. a space to rent in Arizona after um, the salon suite I was in closed down unexpectedly um, and kicked us all into the streets before Christmas. Oops. Um, I literally. Right before Christmas. Mm -hmm, that was. That was so sad. Mm, not very cool. Um, I was literally running around town looking at salon suites to rent from. And Elliot, five out of ten of them had carpet. Ah! They were they looked no. like they looked like an Olive Garden. The walls were brown. I do love the Olive Garden chic there was salon like, suites. No, they were like Tuscan. I'm like, I what no, are we I, doing? I feel like five years ago, every salon suite got together and said, Okay, what design are we doing? And they all met <laughs> at an Olive Garden to have this meeting. And they're, and like, they're this like looks good. They're looking around, they're like, I mean, I don't think we could beat this. No. This is peak design. No. <laughs> and so now every salon suite well, they don't in care Phoenix that, looks well, like Well, they don't the care, Olive they never go in them. <laughs> that is true. They're 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 busy in their lake tahoe chalets yeah for real they don't care about their salon suites <laughs> um yeah i think if you're gonna do salon suites for the love of god make them cute i'm begging you please because please. and literally you can rent them for more money guys too. make them look like lightheart make <laughs> take our idea i don't care use our branding use our <laughs> put our side we'll send you the files no i'm kidding no just i'm saying if you want to make it cute yeah a make lot of people cute. are like i can't rent out my suites how do you rent out your suites your suites with peace and love are mm. ugly they're ugly i didn't say it no not in a bad way but make them nice make them cuter make and them you can nice. make them cuter without spending a lot of money too just paint the walls white just step paint one the walls paint the walls white. white paint the walls white ours aren't you know we don't have the fanciest lighting i mean no we were, we, we do not we, we have ha a tile roof but like, like try your best to make them so nice for people and they'll be rented i promise you yep 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 yeah okay love you guys thank you so much for listening love you so much um, hope this was encouraging to you. I really do. Hope and it wasn't mind numbing. Hope it was interesting. <laughs> it wasn't mind numbing. It was very interesting. You think so? Yeah. I think it was just maybe mind numbing for you because you think about these. You I think do think about, about this all the, all the time. But so I was like, but halfway are... through, I was like, mm, this no. is boring. No, these are very refreshing concepts for everyone listening. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, if you were not bored and you made it to the end, drop a comment so that um, we can know that it was good. Um, before we finish, do you guys like Elliot's outfit? I think it's pretty Guys, good. Guys, we really came as we are good. today. If you're, if I've you're been, I've been listening, <laughs> um, I am wearing my once in a blue moose Alaska uh, grizzly bear sweater. I literally got that at a gift shop in Alaska. I, I love it. It's one of my favorite sweaters. It's very comfy. It makes me feel safe. <laughs> Get you a man who's rocking Yeezys and a once in a blue moose sweatshirt. That's me. You know what? We're here to share knowledge with you. We're not here to. The girls that get it get we're it. We're not here to flex on you. We're if, not. If we wanted well, to flex on you, we would have gotten I'm ready here to flex and worn on you. a blazer. And that's, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Okay. Well, love you guys. you guys so much. We'll Smooches. See you in the next one. Bye.